On this episode of This Week in Linux, we have a lot of distro news from Magia, Antix, Calculate Linux, and NixOS. Zabbix monitoring tool issued a new long-term support release. We'll talk about the upcoming release of KDE Plasma 5.14 and the preview release for Krita 4.2. We'll check out a cool application that makes it easier to make your own GTK theme. And later in the show, we'll cover the big Google Plus news of it being shut down. Then we'll round out the show with some Linux gaming and the always exciting, audience favorite, news about technology patents. All that and much more coming up. I'm Michael Tunnell with Tux Digital, and it's your weekly source for Linux news. KDE Plasma 5.14 is coming tomorrow on the 9th, the Tuesday, and with it comes a lot of interesting uh, new features, but mostly are fixing and polishing of existing features. But there are a couple things that have been, a lot of people have been looking forward to, and one of them is the presentation mode, which is similar to Caffeine, if you've ever heard of that, which allows you to disable your screensaver and make sure that your computer doesn't go to sleep or turn the monitor off and things like that. So presentation mode essentially allows you to do the same thing that Caffeine does, but it's, uh, it's an interesting description of the name, though. But anyway, that's what that does. There's also adding external display control widget from the system tray. So typically, they used to have this uh, feature pop up when you install and you plugged in a new monitor, which I think you, it'll still happen, but you can now do it, change it at any time from the system tray with that widget. They've also done a lot of updates to Discover, including support for snaps, upgrading your system firmware, including the uh, improving the sort functions that like adding it like based on what has been updated and things like that. So overall, there's quite a few things that are done in Discover. The This particular release of Plasma is mostly a stability and polish release, so there's not a ton of new features or to, a ton of new fancy features specifically. So, But this time, it, it's, it's more like a stability and a performance improvement, which is a very good thing because, you know, not always do we need a, you know, fancy new feature to get in, you know for a, a release to be important uh, the polishing and the improvement in stability and performance is also a very important thing to do so if you're interested you can find a link to the post for the 5.14 release notes tomorrow if you watch the show today that link will go to a beta, an older post but I'll update it tomorrow up next in the show is Zabbix 4.0 was released 4.0 is the LTS, or the long-term support release for Zabbix. If you aren't aware, Zabbix is a monitoring tool to keep track of the performance and the reliability of a system, of multiple systems, really, and networks. It's an open-source project that allows for massive deployment and scalability. They, even, they say over hundreds of thousands of hosts could be used to be monitored by this particular piece of software. This latest version ha adds the enhancements of visualizations to make it easier to see more detail and more tools on the same on one screen. And they've also made it easier to select a particular time that you'd like to see the data for. And they've added some tag-based systems for maintenance and permissions. Uh, tag systems are really useful because it allows you to do more pinpoint accuracy of the data that you want to display and monitor. So that's a very cool thing to add. I think a lot, pretty much any piece of software, not any piece of software, but most pieces of pieces of software could benefit from having a tag system of some kind. But anyway, 
significant improvements to the performance and usability was also made. So if you are interested in anything like system monitoring and stuff like that, uh, you might have heard of Nagios and stuff like that, but Zabbix has become uh, pretty much a, a, a bigger player in that field. So if you are interested in you're using Nagios, Nagios, Anyway, Zabbix is available for in the, with a link in the show notes. Krita is getting ready to release the version 4.2, which will be coming in December, somewhere around December. And they've recently released a preview version of it, so you can check it out if you want to. They've done a lot of work since the last release. Uh, they improved the text editor, both in stability and usability. They've improved the overall UI and performance. And I'm excited about the color gamut masking feature. This allows you to set anchor points for around a color wheel and then choose the particular uh, like say if you only want like three anchor points which would make a triangle in the color wheel and then all the colors that are intersecting with those those points are be a part of the color scheme of that piece of art that you're trying to make so it's a, it makes a nice like it allows you to choose different shades and gradients and stuff like that in a much more clean way and I I really like the fact that they added that and I look forward to trying it out but um Krita 4.2 uh, is coming in a couple months, but I wanted to include it in this particular episode because they are currently running a fundraiser for the development of the project. And if you would like to financially contribute to the project, now is a great time to do that. As they they only have like, I think a little bit over a week to, to try it to, yeah, I think it's a little bit under a week, I'm sorry. So six days and three hours of the timing of this recording, they still have left for the, to participate in the fundraiser if you would like to. So you'll find a link to the preview blog post as well as the fundraiser in the show notes below. Up next in the show is Umox. Umox is a graphical application for generating different color variations of the Umox theme, which is based on Numix, and also Materia themes and the Arc themes, as well as some uh, Arc Droid icon themes. It even has a hack around for high DPI in GTK2. I call it a hack around because the workaround implies that it's it's possible to be fixed in the future and that it's just temporary. And a hack implies that it's to modify something. So this is more like a combination of... Anyway, I kind of invented a word. I don't know if it works or not. Let me know if you, if you think it works. <laughs> so hack around. Anyway, Umox is a really cool tool for customizing your system to make customized GTK themes a lot easier. So it, it's become more and more difficult each new API update for GTK theming. So it's really nice to see that someone made this sort of solution. For example, they, it used to be just CSS modifications that allow you to make a custom theme. And they've pretty much done away with that. While they still use the CSS, they now used a compressed file in order to deploy that CSS. So you have to then basically figure out how to manipulate all that as well as the CSS itself. And this way, this is a much cleaner way of doing it. So if you are interested in using any of the themes that this piece of software supports and you would like to customize it, this is a good option to do so. And hopefully they would they would be able to add some more, uh, if they were able to get like some more contributors and something like that, they could add more themes to their project because that would be very cool to see. Uh, what's really cool is, as well as not just the themes, they also have support for uh, customizing your terminal as well as, really surprisingly, the ability to customize and make Spotify themes. So I thought that was pretty cool. Now, before we go on to the next topic, I would like to point out that KDE, Plasma, and KWIN, these are the themes for that, 
don't necessarily need this because it, it this doesn't work with those because they're not it's not really needed because KDE Plasma has color controls and customizations built into itself. So you don't really you can basically do the same thing in KDE Plasma that you can with Umox. Uh, that's why that's probably why Umox doesn't support those types of themes. But anyway, if you would like to get a link to try out Umox, you can find a link in the show notes below. Up next is some pretty big news, and that is Google Plus is going to be shut down thanks to a bug, a data exposing bug cover up. So let's get started with this topic. So a security bug was has allowed third party developers to access Google Plus user profile data since 2015 until Google discovered and patched it in March this year. But they decided to not inform the public that this bug existed. And when a user when a user gave permission to an app to access their public profile data, the bug also let those developers pull their friend their their data and their friends data even even including non-public profile fields. So roughly around 496 well actually almost 497,000 users full names email addresses birth dates gender profile photos places where they lived like past and i guess current if they put that in there occupation and relationship status were potentially exposed to well i guess not, this is just developers but it could have been who knows who it could have been uh, Google says there's no evidence that the data was misused by the 438 apps that could have had access. But, you know, with Google's recent reveal of this, this is a cover-up, uh, it's not really reassuring your statements at this point. Anyway, according to an internal emo, memo, emo, inter- according to an internal memo, the company decided against informing the public because it would lead to them coming into the spotlight alongside even or even instead of Facebook, despite having stayed under the radar throughout the entire Cambridge Analytica scandal. Yeah, that's a that's a cover-up. That's a refusal to admit a fault. And you may be thinking, well, what about Europe's GDPR? Wouldn't that force them to have to pay a fine because they violated the 72-hour reveal? Well, no. Because this happened in March, and the GDPR went into effect in May. So Google might avoid the massive fine for failing to disclose this issue due to it being patched a couple months prior to the effective date of the GDPR. But anyway, because of this issue, they've decided to shut down Google+. And they've also admitted that this review of their security, really, has crystallized what we've known for a while, that while our engineering teams have put a lot of effort and dedication into building Google Plus over the years, it has not achieved broad consumer or developer adoption. Maybe because your website is a website that looks like it's mobile at all times, in order to share something, it takes 400 clicks. Maybe. Could be that. Moving on. They've seen that says that they've seen very limited user interaction with the apps. The consumer version of Google Plus currently has low usage and engagement of of 90% of the people who use Google Plus stay there for less than 5 seconds. That's because it's very painful. And that's that's really probably why. I mean, I would be surprised if people enjoyed using that tool because in order to do posting anything, you have to 
click things, wait for pop-ups to happen, click another thing, wait for another pop-up to happen. Anyway, maybe if your website wasn't ridiculously designed, it would be usable and people might use it. Just a thought, and for people in the future, if you're making a website, try that. Make it usable. That's you know, that's what Google Plus failed to do. Google Plus said they will recease all of its consumer services while winding down over the next 10 months. So it means that the complete shutdown of the consumer service of Google Plus will be in August of 2019. They also said they're going to make an enterprise version of Google Plus. Yeah. Yeah, totally going to work. Moving on from some terrible security to fantastic security and always getting better is the Linux kernel and the maintainer, the LTS stable kernel maintainer, Greg Crow Hartman or Greg KH, uh, did an interview with Linux.com by Swapnil Bartia, and th- there was a really interesting interview. If you want to check out the whole thing, I'll have a link to the sh- to the in the show notes. And there's also a video at the bottom that you might be interested in, in watching. It's not the full the full interview is not in that video, but it's still an interesting piece of it. But it's really cool because the co- the conversation is about how the community is helping to secure Linux pretty much all the time. And with every new release, there's constantly more people working on it and, and fixing things. And there was even a talk, or a piece of it that was talking about, or Greg was talking about this this one tool that was made that every time they make a new release, that this tool basically digs deeper and deeper until it finds more and more bugs and that they can address them. And in in the the interview, there was he was asked, "What is a you know how often do you know if you solve security holes and stuff like that?" And his response was, a bug is a bug. We don't know if it's a bug and, or if it's if the particular bug is a security bug or not. There is actually a famous bug that I fixed, and then three years later, Red Hat realized it was a security hole. So they're more focused on making sure that the bugs are as few as possible. And there's always going to be bugs because software. But the fact that they constantly make these improvements that, in some cases, they'll even find that these bugs that were fixed were security holes back then, but they're already fixed. So that's, you know, anyway, if you'd like to check out the uh, rest of this article, you can find the link in the show notes. Up next in the show is distro news. So first up is Magia 6.1 was released. Magia is a interesting distribution from to me because of its history and what it offers. But uh, let's go ahead and talk about this particular release first. Uh, they updated the kernel for better hardware support, and they're using the 4.14 series, which is an LTS. So Magia is focused a lot on LTS support in many cases, maybe even most cases. So if you're looking for a solid RPM-based distro, then this could be something that's worth looking into. Like a lot of the software is even LTS, so they have the LTS version of Plasma, the LTS version of GNOME, things like that. So if you are interested in something like that, you should check out the link in the show notes for Magia 6.1. But what I find also is interesting about Magia is its legacy or its history. And that is that it dates back to, it was like, a, it's a fork of Mandriva, which was a fork of Mandrake. And while that isn't really relevant to this particular release, I do think that is quite interesting in general. So there you go. Antics 17.2 was released this week. This is primarily a point release upgrade with new kernel patches and stuff for Meltdown Inspector and things like that, as well as various bug fixes and system upgrades as far as like packages and things. Antics is based on Debian with a core using Debian 
If you've never heard of Antics, it's a very interesting distribution based on Debian in that a lot of Debian-based distributions come with System D because that's what Debian comes with. But Antics decided to not include System D. And in fact, one of the main selling points of their of their distribution they, they put in their like about section is to talk about how it's not using System D. So if you're a person who doesn't prefer to use System D, then you can check out Antics for a potential distribution to use. So Antics offers four different ISOs, uh, full, base, core, and net. Full and base are very similar, and core and net are very similar. But base is essentially the full system, but and, and just enough that it'll fit on a CD. Whereas the full version is base plus a bunch of extras uh, like LibreOffice and things like that. I mean, maybe not a bunch of extras, but a few extras. Then there's the core and net, and neither one of them come with an X server, but the core version comes with wireless networking, and the net version comes with just basically wired networking. So if you wanted to build your own distro, you could kind of look at uh, these options as potential for that purpose. Now, Antics also comes with four window manager options. The interesting thing is that a lot of the times most distros will come with one of the top, you know, 10 or so, or maybe the top five desktop environments. But Antics has decided to for, uh, forego all that and give four options that are very unique to uh, a few distros. And first, first, we'll talk about the default window manager, which is IceWM. They also have Fluxbox, JWM, and WM or VM. I think I might have said that one correctly. Pretty close. I think it's pretty close. I'll check, but I'm pretty sure. Anyway, if you'd like to check out the latest release for Antics, you can find the link in the show notes. Up next in the show is some more distro news with Calculate Linux 18 was released. Calculate Linux is Gen 2 based distribution, and this, uh, this version has updated to 4.18 Linux kernel. Calculate Utilities and the Installation Tool have all been ported to Qt 5, which is very good because Qt 4 is pretty dated, so it's nice to see when they're updating to the latest framework of the Qt, Qt Toolkit. Calculate Linux offers vari versions of their distribution with a variety of different desktop environments, and unlike uh, Antics, where they're using the more common desktop environments. So... The first, I'm pretty sure it's default. I might be wrong, but I, I think it's default, is they're using KDE Plasma. Then they also have other versions for Cinnamon, Mate, and XFCE. So uh, if you're interested in a Gen 2-based distribution, Calculate Linux is probably one of the better options because it offers a predefined binary structure for uh, using this distribution. So if you are interested, you can find a link to that in the show notes. Up next in the show is NixOS 18.09. This is a very interesting distribution, and I'll talk about more in depth in a second. But first up, the upgrades for this particular release is there's a new version of GNOME that they're using, which is 3.28. They've got a newer version of glibc and systemd. Now let's talk about NixOS for a little bit. Uh, if you haven't heard of it, NixOS is a very interesting distribution because they have a unique approach to package management and configuration management. Uh, for just a way to describe the particular goal, what they're set to do, as NixOS says that they, they aim to improve the state-of-the-art in system configuration management. They say that in, in existing distributions, actions such as upgrades are dangerous. 
and and sometimes they can be depending on what the distribution you're using is but these offer atomic upgrades which allows them to have transactional approach to configuration management this makes it possible to do reliable upgrades and rollbacks of basically any piece of your system so it's an interesting distribution but just to say up front that it's not for the average user it is a very uh, experienced user intention distro but if you are interested in checking it out you can find a link to it in the show notes stratus 1.0 was released recently stratus is a new local storage management solution for linux if you haven't heard of this is more like a file system management thing so if you if you can be comparing it to zfs or uh, butterfs or lvm both zfs and butterfs can be called volume management or managing file systems or vmfs uh, these combine the file system and the volume management layers into one. Uh, Stratus is, on the other hand, is technically a VMF, but it's not implemented entirely in the kernel file system. So instead, Stratus is a daemon that sits on top managing existing layers in the system. This is an interesting decision by Red Hat, because they're the people who make Stratus, because they, they could have just used ZFS or ButterFS, but the reason they said that ZFS is because there's a licensing issue or more of an ambiguous licensing issue, whether the CDLL or the CDDL uh, is compatible with the GPL. Um, so that's an interesting reason, and I, I totally understand why they would have that concern. Uh, the reason they said that ButterFS is not chosen is because it's uh, the project needs a lot more work, but they think this direction is a better approach. So I am interested to see and curious to see how well it works with this release and in the future to see if it's adopted by more distributions. So we'll see, and um, you can find a link in the show notes to check out more if you'd like to. Up next in the show, thanks to GamingOnLinux.com, we've got an update for the Steam Play whitelist. There has been a large update of over 40 titles, including Cattle Crashers, The Witness, Wolfenstein, The Old Blood, Spelunky, Stick Fight the Game, Overcooked, and Guacamelee 2. You can find a link to this article in the show notes below. Humble Bundle's been doing a lot recently, and currently they're doing the Humble Monthly, which will get you Hitman, the complete first season, Seven Days to Die, and Hollow Knight. Hollow Knight is a very interesting and popular game. I haven't played it myself, but the, my co-host on Destination Linux, Ryan, has said that he's a big fan of it. And Seven Days to Die is also very positive. So if you're interested, you can check out the monthly subscription or the Humble Monthly uh, link to this, that in the show notes. They actually haven't announced the rest of the games yet because it works on the way that subscription boxes work, where as soon as it's been shipped is when people find out what's in it. So the same thing happens with this. As soon as the game, the monthly bundle is a, is shipped, I guess, that's when you find out what's actually in the box or in the subscription. They also have another bundle for the Humble Overwhelmingly Positive Bundle 2. Now, the Overwhelmingly Positive Bundle is the type of bundle where the, the games themselves have really, really positive reviews on Steam to the point where it's classified as overwhelmingly positive by the Steam algorithm or settings and stuff. So in this particular bundle comes Nuclear Throne, Momodoro, Momodora, Lisa, Soma, and Opus Magnum. I've only actually ever heard of Soma, so I don't know what the rest of these are. But Opus Magnum has had a lot of um, 
there's a lot of people who are looking forward to that and have said that that's one of their favorites. A friend of the show, uh, Liam from Gaming on Linux, said that that's actually one of his most re- one of his favorites in the most like recent types of games he's reviewed. Anyway, if you would like to find a link, you can find a link to those in the show notes for the Humble Monthly, as well as the Humble Overwhelmingly Positive Bundle 2. And just so you know that the links in the in the show notes and the description are affiliate links. So if you are to if you do purchase the either the subscription or the bundle from those links, it will give a benefit to Tux Digital with a small percentage uh, commission from Humble Bundle. So if you do decide to purchase it, I would appreciate it if you were to use those links. And finally this week, the audience favorite, technology patents. Microsoft has announced that they're joining the Lot Network. This is to help protect developers against patent assertions. If you're not familiar, the Lot Network is an organization that helps members to utilize certain patents without fear of being uh, for litigation or threat from patent trolls. So if a if a member is using a patent from another member, they're automatically given licensing to use said patents. So this is a way to kind of um, combat the patent trolling that is happening rampantly these days. Microsoft uh, actually has been known to utilize some kind of patent trolling themselves in the past, I mean, through with subsidiaries. And you could argue that the fact that they get money for every Android phone that's sold due to their patents and because manufacturers would rather pay a fee than to go to court over it, it's um, you could kind of argue that that's patent trolling in a way, but that's up to you to decide, I guess. There are some also reports that Microsoft is still doing, is still participating in some kind of you know more malicious patent trolling. Uh, I'm not, I haven't really confirmed them or anything, but if you would like to check that out, there's links in the show notes for you to refer to those. But hopefully, by joining this the Lot Network, Microsoft will at least limit the amount of patent trolling that can be done with their patents. They haven't really said how many patents or what specific patents are going to be added to the Lot Network. Or if there's even a way to for for them to kind of like say whether something is available or not, I'm not really sure if the Lot Network allows you to like pick and choose what's available, and what's not. But we'll see what happens with this in the future. Thanks for watching this episode of This Week in Linux. If you like what I do here on this show, please like that smash button and be sure to subscribe. If you'd like to support the channel, we have multiple ways you can contribute via PayPal, Patreon, or others. You can find out more by going to tuxdigital.com/contribute. Or you can order the Linux is Everywhere t-shirt by going to TuxDigital.com slash Linux is Everywhere. Or if you're in Europe, you can go to TuxDigital.com slash Linux is Everywhere EU for shipping inside of Europe. If you like some more podcasting goodness than me, then check out the latest episode of Destination Linux, as I'm a co-host of that show. Just a reminder, the show is live every Saturday, so join us in the live chat room to discuss all the latest Linux news each week. Thanks again for watching. I'm Michael Tanell with Tux Digital. And as always, keep using, learning, and enjoying Linux.